Creative problem solving and innovation in all areas of life demands diverse thinking. Diversity of thought behind the marketing better reflects the diversity of a brand's customer base. So the opportunity we have as marketers is to develop a more inclusive and authentic approach to the way we work and the way we make an impact. How are you seizing this opportunity? Storytelling is connecting a speaker and a listener. Most brands, I believe, are built for the inside build a full customer experience. People want authenticity. This episode of The CMO Show is brought to you by Filtered Media, Australia's most respected brand storytelling agency. Telling your story brilliantly. Hello, friends. Mark Jones here. How are you doing? Great to have you with us again on The CMO Show. My guest today is Renee Garner. She's CMO at the largest mobile virtual network operator in Australia, Amazim. On this episode, Renee and I discuss how marketers can drive impact on a global scale by championing diversity and inclusion in their organizations. So let's go to my conversation with Renee. Renee Garner, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Now, first things first, um, Amazim, it's a, a brand that's been around for a long time in the telco or MVNO, is that right? Did yes. I get it right? Mobile virtual network, network operator. operator, right? An interesting category which we'll talk about. Yes. Amazing. Where did the name come from? It came from the founders, um, Peter O'Connell, who was recently our CEO, but since the Optus acquisition has moved moved on. But he he came up with Amazing with the four other German founders. We think it came from Amazingly Simple. Yeah. But. It, it was born somewhere 10 to 11 years ago through those founders and yeah. they've never looked back. Well, I, I think it's a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, and, and and it's a brand in the Australian market that's always had quite a unique personality to it. But before we get to all of that, uh, we want to know a bit about you and you have a legal background. So somebody who was a lawyer and is now the CMO, what was that moment where you were like, I'm a lawyer and now I don't want to be one anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I think I had this aha moment um, at the United Nations climate change negotiations, actually, in Copenhagen. Mm. I had this moment where I thought, I don't want to be a lawyer anymore. I want to work in an energy business. During those early years at Freehills, I had this insatiable curiosity around climate change. I just absolutely was obsessed with global policy on climate change and what was happening in the Australian market and how that influenced um, the political sphere and those kinds of things. And I was fortunate enough to be able to go to the United Nations climate change negotiations. And in those negotiations, I realised that, hang on, the whole idea of it is actually around energy security and the energy ecosystem. and Economics as well. Yeah, economics and just this underlying energy ecosystem. I thought, if I want to really make an impact, I want to work in a business that is an energy company and I want to be part of the solution. Right, so change from the inside. Yes, exactly. And so after the back of that, I came back and thought, I'm going to start calling everyone that works in an energy business that I can find. Cold called on LinkedIn and contacts that I'd worked th- through Freehills and other people and managed to find a wonderful opportunity at True Energy then that turned into Energy Australia, yeah. working into their um, M&A and commercial team. And that's how I sort of transitioned out of law. But back then, I didn't think I was going to end up in marketing. And I've got to say, that whole set of experiences must have been really quite amazing. What happened next? When I think about my career, it's been non-linear to get to where I've gotten to. And I've always just followed that curiosity and, and, and jumped at opportunities. So in eight years at Energy Australia after that, I had sort of four or five different roles in M&A, working into corporate strategy, always looking for an opportunity to make an impact and following a passion. 
and asking for the opportunity if it wasn't there and learning fast yeah. and throwing myself into the deep end. Essentially pitching to my CEO at the time, look, we are the second largest emitter in Australia. What if we could be the answer to that problem as well as a, as not just the problem, but the answer as a business and mm. actually have a purpose beyond making energy and turning a revenue? What social impact can we make and mm. how can we actually mm. be the one that accelerates towards a clean energy future? We did a major project, a purpose project top down there, which I helped lead with the CEO. And off the back of that, it actually turned into the brand strategy. So that's how I got into brand, yeah, through so leading the purpose work and then moving that into what's our external facing position on that. That was many a project around saying, how do we take purpose? How do we all buy into that internally? Are we confident that we can make tough decisions around mm. the choices we make in terms of our investments, in terms of where we want to put our resources and deploy our energy as a business? And then how do we actually manifest that to customers through the external manifestation, which is the brand and the story? And then from there, I became obsessed because I was thinking, you know, <laughs> how great is sales and marketing, but how, how wonderful and how important are brands? You had a, a reason, a purpose for doing it, mm -hmm. right? It came from that passion. Yes. And you then found yourself being so excited about the story that you wanted to take it further. I just kept following it, following it, following yes. it. Yes. Right? Uh, it, and, and, that, and trying that, to make an impact. Yeah. I think brands have a very unique opportunity in society to make a special impact, um, either at a macro level, you know, at an ecosystem level or at an individual level with people's lives. And so it's really finding that special magic and then saying, how do I build and mobilise and galvanise a, a whole organisation around the energy around that and get people to buy in because that's half the challenge. And then how do I actually communicate that out to the world in a way that brings others along? But it's got to start inside out. From the way that you describe it, you were something of a flag bearer or the champion for this change that needed to happen at Energy Australia. What was that like for you being the, you know, really having this passion and wanting to bring so many people along? I, I can imagine a, possibly an impatience that, that comes along with that experience. I think it's funny, though, when you ask the question, does it, who wants to be a part of something that's shaping society? So many people want to be involved. People want to work for a business that is putting something is beyond just turning that profit. They want to work for making a difference. And so it wasn't just me out on my own. It was There was a huge group of people that were so behind this concept in there. And I can see that a similar thing now at Amazing, you know, with our big love brand idea. But the people in our business really believe, you know, that they can make a difference to customers and they can show crazy customer love and hero our customers, hero their stories, get mm. behind them, champion them. Mm. There's just a real truth and belief. Mm. And you can't ask a culture to be a certain way. You've got to actually surface it from the inside out to drive that brand, that purpose, and then that narrative externally. Very true. And I, I guess to, to drill into that a little bit, mm. the challenge in the category that you're now speaking about, entirely different to the energy sector Absolutely. and to find that purpose that is true, mm. I imagine is quite a, a, a challenge if you're, if you're starting out. If you go back to the sort of the beginning days of Amazing, you again, it's, it's, it's developing the culture, right? Yes. Well, I must say the founder, Peter O'Connell, I mean, he is a magnificent human <laughs> and he was incredible to work with um, in the last few years. I learned so much from him in terms of the power of empathy. He founded a business built on absolute empathy and not in a soft way, actually standing in customers' shoes, standing in other shoes and saying, what do they want? They want simplicity. They want to cut all the fine print. They want what it says on the packet. That's what they want mm. from their provider. And it seems really simple, but you just don't get that a lot across many utilities. There's a lot of promise over here, deliver over there. 
And it was founded on that idea of empathy and simplicity and giving customers simple pricing, cut the fine print. And it was really disruptive at the time in that market when there was complex contracts. And so that that actually core idea has not shifted. We still deeply believe in making it easy for customers, being great value and keeping it simple. Customers still want that. They may be happy to trade off gold-class service for like a simple value-led but very connected and um, great service. And that's what we like to think that we offer. We think we do that uniquely. Yes. With big love. We think that how we do that is crazy customer love, you know, writing love letters to our customers, sending them jokes on their ber- on their birthdays. We don't have a big marketing budget, so we have to find really quirky ways to show them the love and make it feel personalized. So so big love is the is the creative idea that speaks to how we think about you as a, as yes. a, as a customer, right? If I look uh, comparatively across the, the whole telco sector, it's hard to avoid the race to the bottom in terms of pricing. And that must be quite a challenge, particularly given your own heritage, which is also low prices. Mm-hmm. So how do you get that cut through? I feel like it's one of the greatest existential challenges uh, in the telco sector. I mean, we always have to be great value because there's customer needs that say, look, I need a really competitively priced mobile plan. doesn't mean we have to be the cheapest, mm. right? So we've always got to make sure that we are competitive and not race to the bottom. Then what we think we can do uniquely is overlay that big love, which for us is being really easy to deal with and incredible customer service. And a lot of it is love bombing, what we call surprise and delights, mm. making sure our customers know that they're always on the best deal. Something that is very central to our philosophy around big love is this immovable truth around no existing customer should be worse off than a new customer. Not many utilities do that. You hear it a lot in utilities where customers say, why do I have to call to get put on that new plan or those new inclusions? Why do I have to ask you for that? So we don't have a back book. That's very unique in utility. And it takes courage because, you know, there are obviously commercial implications with those decisions. But we start with the question of what is right for our customers? first. So there's an immediately an interplay between sales, marketing and business. So tell me about the way that you develop campaigns in that context, because you've, you've got to take in the ideas and the, the views of different stakeholders, right? Absolutely. I mean, we first, like I said, we first ask ourselves what's right for customers. Then we say, what's the implication? In our marketing and our campaigns, we think about those customers we're acquiring, where are they coming from, on what offers. And then we think about how do we nurture them through that first sort of three to six months in a way that makes them feel loved, that they feel like value is affirmed and that they make sure that if there's any changes in the market or plan prices that they're looked after and we've got their back. And so it's really just thinking through what would a customer expect right now from us Mm. if we were doing the right thing. Tell me about Optus because obviously that's the acquisition that went through. You've got a very clear brand identity and I know that the, the, the brand continues. Uh, as it is. Um, but how do you think about the the brand and marketing strategy knowing, I presume now, having a greater insight into what Optus is doing? One of the things I, I do know from a bit of work in the sector is that everybody's watching everyone's plans and their pricing and their structures and their ideas all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so so now you have a great insight into, into, what, yes. into what your parent company is doing. How do you approach that from a, a CMO perspective? The wonderful thing about joining Optus is now we're not coming up against each other in market. And we are a portfolio of brands now, Optus owned and operated. So 
it's actually wonderful for us because we're still um, operating as a standalone brand. We're working across the Optus portfolio to say, how do we line up all of the Optus brands now to mm. capture all of the customer needs in the most efficient and effective way and win against everyone else? So it's more side by side. We look to them about how they can actually help us deliver big love in new and exciting ways through their products or tech developments. Similarly, they're looking to us to say, you know, how, look, what learnings do you have for us in terms of how you manage your customers and how you think about loyalty and those kinds of things. So it's quite a wonderful opportunity, I think, for a, a brand like ours that where we've got the resource and backing of a big brother, um, we have the opportunity to share and learn from each other where we didn't have it before. And we can be much more coordinated in our marketing in terms of our office calendar planning, you know, proposition development and that kind of thing so that we orchestrate such that we can face into the market and say, we're going to take everyone down mm. now together versus come up against each other. So you're creating space essentially for each other as yes. opposed to trying to yes. step over the top. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And so that will continue. It's we're, we're new in this relationship, but we're working really well together and we're all part of the same fam now. So it's really exciting. Now, have you got a question you'd like me to answer on the show? Just tweet at CMO Show or use the hashtag The CMO Show. I'd love to hear from you. Tell me about the category, which I've been fascinated for and we, we touched on it at the beginning. Do your customers think about you as, a, as an MVNO? To what extent do they think about the underlying network versus just the brand? Do they care? The way the insight shows up to us is really there's some customers out there that would prefer an established telco. And they want the the safety and, and the sort of bells and whistles that come with that. There's some that are actually looking for more of a value, a simple, and they're happy to trade off some of that perceived either service quality or established safety mm. for value. That's really the way that the drivers of and the motivations for acquisition play out in market. Um, our job is to actually make ourselves look distinct and yes. different from yes. all the other players that are playing in that value space. Yep. Um, and this is where the big love narrative comes in because pricing gigs is not going to cut it. And that's why its brand is super important in the MVNO space because that's how we are going to tell a different story. Yeah, or in marketing speak, sentiment. Exactly. Right? Like brand sentiment is is king, right? So you've really got to find the one thing you think you can win at. Yes. Is, is, that, is that how you've approached it? We think we win at big love. Our customers advocate for us. We drive a lot of sales through referral. And we believe that if we continue to show that, love and and drive that experience, focus on our existing customers. Just by doing that, it will attract people into us and we can start to tell those stories and push them out. Mm. It's interesting um, from your own perspective as a, as, a, as a career professional now in the marketing space. And before we began, you were talking about, you know, soaking up the, the ideas of your, your, your yes. CMO colleagues. Um, where do you get your, your inspiration uh, when it comes to thinking about these these ideas because you have such an incredible background and diversity of experience that I think a lot of marketers would be quite jealous of, quite frankly, because it's a, it's a source of thinking. But when you start thinking about, all right, where are we going to go to now as a brand? What's the way that you sort of approach that strategic level? Where do you get your ideas from? How are you thinking about creating new horizons for the brand and that sort of thing? I suppose a lot of the thinking at the strategic level comes back to basic frameworks. I know that sounds a bit boring. Obviously, I get inspired by other colleagues. But at the end of the day, strategy, whether that's corporate strategy in a industrial business or a infrastructure business or marketing strategy, it's where am I going to play to win? What's my unique 
What's the couple of focus areas that are going to take me from move the dial from X to Y? Mm. What's that myopic thing that I'm going to be different mm. or distinctive? Yep. And let's not let the noise come in the way of it. Let's just attack that with vigor and energy. And um, strategy is always the same. It's I need to move the needle, not incrementally. I want to step change it. What's that thing that's going to propel me forward? Um, so I, I like to keep very focused as a team on the things that are going to propel us forward mm. from a customer perspective and then from a commercial perspective. And that's just basic sort of corporate strategy principles. But outside of that, I get a heap of inspo from people on your podcast, for example, I was oh, saying before, <laughs> mentors that I work with. You know, I've had some incredible leaders, Kim Clark, who was an ex-voter, CMO, she was um, Chief Custom Officer at Energy Australia. She taught me so many lessons, you know, run to the red, be proud of the green. Yeah, wow. And I sort of take these little nuggets of learnings um, around with me. Mentors are really important, I think, especially as a more junior sort of person coming into the CMO role um, or starting out like in your early career, having great people that can give you the confidence and connection. And if you don't have one, I always say to my guys, hit people up. Yeah. They, they will love it if you flatter them and say, I'd like you to share your learnings with me. What other benefits have come from being both a mentor and a mentee, I presume, you know, in that context? How has it helped your career? Enormously. Like I said, it gives me a lot of confidence being able to have someone to bounce things off mm. and sh understand perspectives and understand, I suppose, hear stories from other leaders about where they've had failures or how they've won, how they've come at problems. But for me, actually mentoring others is really a wonderful experience as well because I learn so much through that process. Mm -hmm. And if I can help other women and other people succeed and get the help and the energy that I got from others in my career, if I can do that for others, that gives me a lot of personal energy as well. The telco sector, there's no surprise to anyone. There's a lot of men in it. What have you learned from being a woman in a male-dominated sector? Being a woman in a male-dominated sector is a unique opportunity to bring diversity of insight and thought. It also gives me a great opportunity to bring more women into the team um, and into the sector. And we have a fantastic representation in Amazim of female marketeers, product, tech marketeers. So, you know, I think, yes, sure, these industries have been typically male dominated, but like all industries and businesses that are trying to win, they win through diversity of thought and leadership. And it's the way in which you can drive a competitive advantage is to get that representation in there. Um, and harvest those unique ideas through all the people. For us, it's really embracing everybody and, and using that because that's the best representation of our customers. And that's where we think we can get a competitive advantage. And so what advice then do you have for women who are starting out in their professional careers? I would say channel any, any energy that's around self-doubt, push that into having a crack at new opportunities. Say yes when things come up. If you see some white space, ask to play there because that's where you can make an impact. Reframe your success as attitude and effort, not wins. Have massive swings. Swing hard at things. And if you stuff it up, all good. But really think about, am I showing up with the right attitude and am I giving it the right effort? And if I can leave nothing on the table there, that's, that's a good result. And I think through that, there's a lot of growth and learning. And I think the idea that you need to be the expert marketer or the expert lawyer or the expert anything early in your career, like just think of yourself as a, I'm going to be a well-rounded businesswoman that learns through my experience and that can always say that I gave it a red hot crack.
and I think you know to your to your own credit and your story, the the, the tenacity that you showed in getting into the energy sector. Uh, is an example of that, right? You saw the white space or the opportunity and, and really ran for it. Mm. To what extent is having a personal vision or a sense of the things that really drive you important? Because it's one thing to have a swing, but what if it's not something you're really passionate about? You just you saw the white space and I'm just going to step into it because it's there. I think that's a different experience probably yeah. for anyone than I've got this conviction. Absolutely. I think, well, I think it has to be conviction led. I mean, certainly my career and my experience has been very curiosity led. And I think you've got to try things to find your passions, to find that conviction. So even if you're not necessarily sure that what you'll be experiencing is something that's going to float your boat, Mm. have a go and then understand, is this for me or not? Mm. Um, And I think that exploration and being cool with exploring new opportunities, experiencing new jobs, trying new things is a very important path and way to get to that conviction and passion. So you just have to keep pushing at that. The interesting thing about tech is just how fast it's changing. Mm. How are you getting your head around which technology trends or even products and systems should I pay attention to and which ones should I kind of let go for a while? Is that the sort of thing that you talk about with your CMO peers? Yeah, I talk about that a lot with our CTO actually, Richard Dean. We have a philosophy to amaze him that we go for best of breed technology. It needs to be married up with the capability you're trying to unlock at the level of maturity you are in your business. So when we look at our lifecycle comms maturity, we know where we are today. The technology choices need to be able to unlock value tomorrow and serve and underpin our growth in the short to medium and longer term. So we look at we do it very use case driven, actually. What are our hypothesis where we believe we can drive incremental value off the back of this technology? Do a lot of proof of concepts. Um, we've just implemented two-way dynamic SMS, for example. We ran a deep POC proof of concept on that mm. to understand customer response and whether it actually would help us in our campaigns, um, our existing customer campaigns, upsell, cross-sell and so forth before we make any big choices around technology. Because as a lean business, we can't just invest in everything. We have to make our choices work for us. And they need to be able to deliver what we believe we can, our short-term use cases, but also underpin our capability and our value unlock into the future. So just to understand that though, does that mean you know you get a message from Amazim as a customer and now you can start treating that like a chat Kind of channel? Is that that the idea? Exactly, yeah. We can have multiple um, SMSs going out with different responses coming back in Mm. and it's all automated off the back in terms of what do you want to do. It's not just a is it yes or no. Yeah. It's why are you leaving us? Or (laughs) um, And it's able to actually almost take that conversation back and drive insight and actions off the back of it. So is that an AI thing? I think there's probably some AI in it, but Mm, it's it's really a a decisioning and two-way communication tool. It's very important for us that we make those investments that we make work hard for us. Yeah, scale is a big deal. It is. How can we roll this out and keep it simple at the same time? Exactly. You've talked quite a bit about passion and purpose Mm. uh, and making an impact. So how will you continue to keep those things aligned and continue to make a positive impact on, on communities and individuals? Next month, we're launching something really great. Oh, and you can't, we got a scoop? No. <laughs> yeah, well, we're actually, um, it's a bit daggy, the, the headline. It's like a big love legends. But I mean, this is us getting behind our customers who are trying to make an impact in society. Okay. You know, we're starting off with Danielle, who's one of our customers, who leads an organisation called Motherless Daughters for women who have lost their mothers very early. And she's created this amazing help group on Facebook. We heard about her. She reached out to us. We started talking. We're like, we need to get behind you. Like, what you need is us to give you 
put you on a podium and give you some visibility and help you drive your media and things. And it started us thinking, how do we get behind our other customers who are trying to make an impact in society? So it's not us doing it, some charity work. It's actually us enabling and empowering our customers to do what they love. And again, that's big love in action. So that sort of kicks off next month, but I'm really excited Mm. because it's going to give us visibility and a way in on so many different individual stories that we can tell. Yes. And incredible people that have incredible passions that maybe don't have the backing, that don't have the ability to make it something big. And we're going to try and help them with that. And it may be some funds, but it may be that we can help them with design of their website. It may be that we can leverage our unique, our team or our unique or SIM cards or anything that's required mm-hmm. to help them get along. For me, that's alignment of my passion and purpose and our businesses as well and our peoples that they want to help our customers get ahead in their social impact. There you go. And, so, you know, and again, making the customer the centre, exactly. in this case, the hero exactly. uh, of a campaign and the, and the stories themselves. So yeah. that's, uh, that's a really exciting thing to hear about. Well, we will watch that with interest. Renee, it has been so fantastic to have you Thank as you. our guest on the CMO show. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Renee Garner. It was really eye-opening to hear from her about her experiences as a marketing leader in a male-dominated industry. Also, her belief that diversity of thought in marketing leads to the best representation of a brand's customers. So how can you drive brand innovation and solve problems creatively through diversity of thought and inclusive leadership? Finally, a quick reminder, if you haven't already, please subscribe to The CMO Show on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. And thank you for joining us on The CMO Show. As always, it's been great to have you with us. Until next time. The CMO Show is brought to you by the team here at Filtered Media. The show is produced by Charlotte Goodwin and Stephanie Wu. It's engineered and edited by Tom Henderson and Daniel Marr.